Good morning, Desert Cities Church. It's Scott here. I am excited to be with you today as we continue our Book of James study, our series called True Religion. And today I'm not coming to you from my normal office that I'm actually in Orange County. We're here to celebrate my father-in-law's 80th today, so I'm grateful to my sister-in-law who's letting me use her office here to record. But I'm excited about our lesson today. It is called Church Begins When Church Ends. And so many times, I don't know about you growing up, but I felt like church was when I went to the building and I met with the people and I heard the lesson and I went through the service. And yet we're going to see here from James today that although that is extremely important and it helps us, it encourages us, we're called to be devoted to the fellowship, to the word. But really, church begins when we leave the building and we go out into our lives. And thank you so much, Roy. Last week, we got to look at James' uh, faith under pressure. And, and you highlighted the idea of trials and having pure joy in trials. As the church was going through persecution and difficulties and Asking God and having the faith to ask God for wisdom that he wants to bless us. He wants to lead us through and, and guide us and really the encouragement to stand firm. And that could be kind of the encouragement for the whole book of James to encourage the 12 lost tribes of Israel or all the Jews spread out in the province of Asia to persevere, to stand strong. And I love how James is so practical and sometimes you hear the Bible, it's so outdated, you can't relate it to life. But after today, you're going to see that the Bible is extremely practical. And even as we learn from Jesus' half-brother James today, uh, it really uh, convicted my heart and, and relied, related to my life in a big way. And as you get deeper into the book of James, just look for those different themes. There's... 19 references to concepts that come up in the Sermon of the Mount, and there's a lot of references to the first nine chapters of Proverbs, which would have been really what James grew up on, kind of these new, these teachings and being around Jesus uh, gave him, I'm sure, a new perspective on what true faith looked like. That he could go to the synagogue and, and see church, but then he could live with Jesus and see church. And so that's really what we're trying to do is see church in Jesus. And today my two points come from two life-changing one-liners that are found in these verses. We're going to look at James 1, verse 19 to 27. My first point is be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I got your attention right there. I mean, that is, if you could apply that to every relationship in every area of life, you would have an amazing life. And the Bible even says that you would be extremely blessed. And the second point is, do not merely listen to the word, do what it says. And that is, that speaks for itself, but just the idea of just believing, understanding, agreeing, but really putting it into our lives with faith and we'll see that that is what God is really looking at not just our faith but our faith exercised by our deeds and so pray with me as we get started father we thank you so much for this time to be together 
We thank you for your word. We thank you that it guides us, that it's useful and practical and helpful. God, I pray that you use me today to inspire us, to help us, to encourage us, and God, to really focus us on Jesus. God, get me out of the way in these next few minutes. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Okay, so turn over to James chapter 1, verse 19. My first point, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And really my sub-point is listen to God and humbly accept the word. In verse 19 it says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. That's our point right there. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. And now if you think about why was James writing this, be quick to listen, slow to speak, because it's hard to do. That they weren't doing this, maybe they were having a tough time like we are. It's easy to blame others, isn't it? It's easy to become judgmental. It's easy to think about what am I going to say to this person as they're talking to me rather than truly listening and not responding out of anger or out of reactions or emotion. But he was writing this the same reason he was writing it to us, that we, we need it. Imagine a world where we listen to everyone around us. Our family, when they brought a concern to us or when they wanted to talk to us, we dropped everything and listened 100%. Our friends, and ultimately, I believe this applies even to God. That sometimes we can come to God and we, we have things to say and we want to express how we feel and, and yet we, we don't leave that room to listen to Him. And this reminds me of a story when I was first out of college we moved into a, an apartment together and we, we had to have this black leather couch. We got it from one of the brothers. We were trying to bring it up the staircase. We we're on the second floor and it just was so close, but it wouldn't fit. And my one roommate who was a few years older, he stopped me as we were going and he says, you know, we should think about this. This isn't really working too well. And so, but I got the idea that, you know, if we just push a little bit harder, it's so close, we're going to get it. And so that's what we did. I convinced the other two guys and we pushed a little bit harder and we got it in, but we also left a huge hole in the wall because we pushed a little too hard for the wall board that was right by the stairs and we had to end up paying for that when we moved out. But imagine... What would have happened if I would have stopped and listened to my roommate? His name was Mike. He was a very wise man, but just because the words were there didn't mean that I heard what he said. That reminds me of one of my favorite verses in Proverbs 22.3. It says, The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple, who I was in the story, the simple keep going and suffer for it. And I believe I, I took lesson from that incident and many others that sometimes when things aren't going, I need to push harder. That, that works sometimes, but a lot of times God wants me to take a step back and think about it. And maybe he's even trying to help me by stopping me from doing the thing that I really, really, really want to do. 
as it was in this case. And so listening can be extremely beneficial. Imagine, think about right now, how well, how good of a listener are you? How good do you, how well do you listen to those around you? That's a good uh, assignment to go around to your, your roommates, your family members, your coworkers and ask, do I listen to you when I talk? When you talk, do I listen? Do I take it in? And that will be a life-changing conversation because it, it starts at home. It starts with those around us with the idea that if I can grow and be a better listener, I'm going to be a better friend. I'm going to be a, a better follower of Christ. I'm going to be more blessed by God that there's unlimited blessings that God has planned for us. And I don't know about you, but sometimes we get so competitive with our ideas or we get so bought into our ideas or our thoughts that we really want to get them across and we feel like this conversation is not a success unless I get my point across, unless this person understands me. And now when we're looking at this verse, we, re we realize that's not a good idea. But in our heart, we can still go ahead and be competitive in conversations. And my family knows a little bit about being competitive. I don't know how you guys are when you play games. Maybe you're, you're very nice, considerate with one another. My family, sometimes not so much. There's one particular game that brings out, I was going to say the best, but probably the worst in us as far as competitiveness goes, and that's catchphrase. Some of you have played that game where you try to guess the word and once you get it, you pass it around the circle and you have your teammates. And every time we go to play catchphrase with someone new, I take a deep breath and I say a little prayer. I say, God, I pray that this goes well. Because we have scared people when we were doing it. There was one girl that was about 10 or 11 and we scared her. She never wanted to play games with us again because it gets so intense that we're, we're either wrestling for the controller or we're, we're, we're not giving it to the person next to us. It gets kind of loud. And I was just thinking about that competitiveness to, to be first, to, to win in this sense, in terms of listening. Instead of being so competitive to get your ideas and my ideas out there, what if we were competitive in the way that James is saying? I want to be the first to listen. I want to be the first to ask questions to try to understand where you're coming from. I want to be the last to speak and the last to, to never become angry in this conversation. And that's my challenge for you and for myself is to be the first to listen. Be the first to ask questions and try to understand. And let's see who can win that game because that game is probably more important than trying to get our idea across. Think about it for a second. Who's the wisest person that you know and how pushy are they? Are they the ones that are driving the conversation and they're trying to get their point across and they're giving you point and counterpoint and ideas and, and in a very pushy way? Or are they someone that takes, it, takes the conversation in and asks questions and try to understand aim to be that wise person that is quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. Anger 
is a whole different topic. But anger is is easy to have. We can get frustrated. We can get upset. And maybe this was happening in the church there because they were just starting to have these Gentile converts. And so there were differences. There were there were issues. There were there were different ways of doing things. And there was some tension there. And sometimes when you think of when I think of anger, I think of just somebody blowing up and maybe throwing things or whatever, the the loud angry person. But it's just as dangerous to be the quiet angry person. And maybe we have stress in our lives or maybe we have physical ailments that come with it because we don't let it out. We keep it in. And that can be just as damaging. I read a book a, a while back called The Other Side of Love by Gary Chapman. And he's since come out with a new book called Anger, Taming a Powerful Emotion. And helping us to see that anger itself can come from God, but he wants us to process it and channel it in the right ways. You think about Jesus, he got angry, but it was because of God's honor. It was because they were ruining his house and he was able to bring about change. And sometimes God brings about anger, maybe even through injustice or something going on that's not fair. And we want to respond because it's not right. And that can be a helpful emotion and, and even repenting of sin. We can get so angry at the sin in our lives and that can help us to change. And yet without harnessing that, it can lead to all, all these other damaging things. But when we look at ourselves and we figure out, where is this coming from? Why am I angry? Am I angry because of myself or am I angry because of God? How can I use this to bring about change in a godly way? And that's amazing because that is why God even gave us that emotion. Sometimes when we get angry, we like we can even like it if we're really honest because it gets other people to back down and it helps us to get our way that people might be we might be intimidating or whatever and so we can go along getting our way until we run up against somebody just like us and then there's a major escalation with hurt and pain and all kinds of other issues we know that that's not a good thing and that's not the way that Jesus got angry. But even science goes along with this. That we, when, we, when we calm down and think things through, we're using the front of our brain, the prefrontal cortex. That's where we have the reason and creativity and calmness and spirituality. When we're, when we're not led by our emotions, we're able to think spiritually Versus the fight or flight reflex that our emotions can exert. And we use this part of the brain called the amygdala that is the fight or flight re reflex. And we can get angry and we can get upset and we can cause a lot of damage and not listen. Not think about our words in, in that same way. And then it says, listen to the word of God that can save you. To get rid of all that junk so we can accept the word of God in our own lives. You know, we're able to get rid of that sin and that selfishness and that, that old life so that we're able to listen, we're able to learn. Think about it. If you don't, if you have trouble listening to others, 
you may have the same trouble listening to God. If you're prideful and respond one way to people, there may be a chance that we are the same way when God is trying to walk with us and talk with us. Because he does say in other places, if you don't love people, then you really can't love me. And in the same way, if we don't listen to others, then it's really hard to listen to God. I found this quote by Alan Alda. It says, listening is being able to be changed by the other person. Let's go into that. Let's go into our conversations in that way that I want to listen. I want to be changed by you. Let's go into our times with God that way. God, I want to listen and I want to be changed by you to be more like Christ. And that's the finish, the end of my first point. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Listen to God and accept the word humbly that has been planted in you. My second and final point is do not merely listen to the word. Do what it says. When the sermon is over, the service really begins in our lives. When the sermon is over, that's when we have the opportunity to have the freedom and blessings as we put this into practice. Jesus says it a different way. If we put this into practice, we build our house on the rock. If we listen to the words but don't put it into practice, we build our house on the, on the sand. One lasts forever and is blessed. The other, when troubles come, is blown away. Let's start reading in verse 22. It says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. I love this practical from Jesus to not just hear the word, but put it into our lives to Look into this spiritual mirror and see ourselves and realize that that is where true freedom comes from. That God didn't give us the law and his word to, to put us in jail spiritually. He came to set us free. He didn't give us a bunch of rules that we have to begrudgingly follow. He gave us a bunch of principles and directives to be able to help us to have life to the full. There's a famous quote by Abraham Lincoln when he walked out of church one evening and his bodyguard asked him, well, what did you think of Dr. Gurley's sermon? That was his name. Well, Lincoln responded, it was brilliantly conceived, biblical, relevant, and well presented. And his bodyguard said, so it was a great sermon. And Lincoln replied, no, it failed. It failed because Dr. Gurley did not ask us to do something great. That it wasn't just about the delivery and the biblical accuracy and all of that. He said the sermon failed because it failed to ask me to follow Christ. It failed to ask me to do something great as a result. And I pray that even as you listen to the words today, that you'll have that question in your mind. What does God want me to do? 
Yes, He wants us to believe. Yes, He wants us to trust. He wants us to accept. He wants us to love, but He wants us to act on our faith. Think about people in the Bible that were commended for their faith like Abraham because he listened to God and he put it into his life. Like Rahab who hid the spy, she acted upon her faith and she was encouraged. I came across this quote that talked about those who listen to the word. And there were many admirers. Many who had affection for one another, who were attached to the church and yet remained unblessed hearers because they were not doers of the word. That we could hear the word and if we don't do anything with it, that we can still remain unblessed. That we can be loyal but not blessed. And I, I pray that today that we can be doers of the word and not just doing the actions but faithful doers of the word. He gives us this picture of looking at our face in a mirror. And I've heard analogies on this where it's like we look and you have a piece of hair that's out of place and you don't fix it. Or you have spinach in your teeth and you look at it and you don't do anything about it. And sometimes it's that obvious that our life is a mess and we're reading the word and we're not responding or we know what we need to do and we're just not doing it. But I believe that it means looking deeper into the word. That God wants to reveal to us our nature, our actions, our motives, our desire, and even our entire inward condition. And he wants to get down to our soul. That he want, It's hard sometimes to look into who we can be without Christ, isn't it? It's not just a perfect picture especially when we're really honest with ourselves. But also beyond that, if we can look in the Word and get all that we're supposed to get out of it and then forget who we are with Christ. We forget to take our spiritual nature with us. We can forget to take our confidence. We can forget that God has called us to be His ambassadors. We can forget all the gifts that God has given us and our spiritual identity and the truth that we are overcomers and we already are more than conquerors with Christ. That we can forget who we are without Christ, but we can also forget who we are with Christ. And also that we are given this mirror that we can look at ourselves, but we can also use that to help others. He calls this a law that brings freedom. I don't know what you think about when you think about looking in the spiritual mirror, but it can bring up some feelings of fear that I'm not sure I want to do this. And I think some of it comes back from my childhood when I used to feel like God was this person in the sky just ready to get me in trouble, waiting to bust me for my sins, so to speak. And yet here he says that the law gives freedom, that God wants us to love him and feel at peace with him. And it, the more we see ourselves, the more we should be reminded of Jesus' blood and his grace in our lives. Why do we stop looking into the word? Well, biblically it says, because trouble or persecution may come our way. What gets you to stop looking into the word? Is it, maybe it's difficulties and tension and stress. 
The Bible says that desires for other things can get in our way of God. That we want immediate gratification rather than gratification with God in the future. Maybe we get disappointed and we give up on God. Maybe we have relationship issues or even issues with leadership and we just want to give up. We don't want to deal with it anymore. We're tired of persevering. And yet, what do we learn from the first part of chapter 1? Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Because you will be blessed through that. It will help you to be mature and complete. That as we go through difficulties that God is working on us and even blessing us along the way. Let's not forget who we are. Let's not forget and let's continue to look deeply into the word. And don't just look into it. Put it into practice. Remember the question, what does God want me to do today? What does God want me to do with this message How can I put it into my life? What is he putting on my heart? And those are the kind of prayers that God will bless. I came across two quotes relating to this point. One is from Tony Robbins. He says, the only impossible journey is the one you never begin. Sometimes we can be sitting there thinking, yes, I want to do this. I want to give God a try. Maybe this is your first time here and you're not so sure, but... As you put it into your life, you will be blessed. Don't give in to fear, but focus your eyes on Christ and he will bless your life as he's blessed mine and he's blessed so many others around you. The second one was anonymous. It says, a person's actions will tell you everything you need to know. And I thought about that for a while that It's not what people say, but what they do and how they live that we respect, isn't it? I mean, you could tell me anything you want, but if it's not backed up in your life, then we may call you a fool. And biblically, Jesus would too. Not that we need to be perfect, but our actions will tell someone, and mostly God, everything that we need to know says that by their fruit you will recognize them. Another reference to the Sermon on the Mount. And as I thought about this statement, it's not anonymous. It's a a derivative of what Jesus said. A person's actions will tell you everything you need to know. There's freedom and blessings that await our path of faithful action. And remember, when this sermon or service is over, what will you do? By faith. Church begins when church ends. I want to encourage you to ask those around you. Do I listen to you? Am I quick to speak? Do I get angry when I talk to you in our conversations? And how can I put the word of God into practice in my life today? What is something that maybe you can help me with? And I want to encourage us to have those conversations, to have that kind of fellowship today. As we close out to take communion, he reiterates this by the famous, a couple famous verses and one that we even get this title series, True Religion. It says, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. 
religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. And he even says true religion in a different version. But to look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself from being polluted by the world. That here he's bringing it home here to take charge of our tongues, of our words, of our mouth, of our, you know, let's build one another up and not tear each other down. Let's not be quick to speak or get angry. Let's love one another with words and deeds. Let's think about how can I serve the poor? How can I serve those in need? And he, I think he highlights orphans and widows because that was a problem in the church there that some of the men were, husbands were getting killed and so there was an issue right in front of them and, and he was encouraging them to not just give once or twice but take charge of these in your midst. But I believe that it has broader applications to all of us. Meeting the needs of those around us. How can I put my faith into practice today to have a pure faith, a faultless faith, a, a compassionate faith and one with action? Not to be riddled by guilt, but to be led by the Spirit and to be set free as we spread the love of Christ around us. Let's take these challenges to heart. And I believe that the only way that we can truly keep ourselves from being polluted by the world is through the blood of Jesus. I pray that today that we experience grace and truth. That we were, I, I was challenged by my listening, by my tongue, by my actions. And I want to put those into my life. I want to be competitive on being the, most, uh, the first to listen. I want to be like Christ and love others as he loved us. I want to build my house on the rock, as I know that many of you do too. And let's encourage and help one another and be a church that doesn't just meet on Sundays, but that we start meeting once the service is over on Sunday. As we take our communion here, the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the cup and he took the bread and he passed it and broke it for his disciples. He said, do this in remembrance of me to remember the new covenant with my blood to remember my body that I broke for you and let's pray as we remember Jesus at this time father we thank you so much for this time to be together we thank you for inspiring us with your word and help us to be uh, Christians that walk true in a true and blameless way before you God help us to grow in in our listening and our love for one another and our respect for each other and being able to be influenced by one another and even by you. God, help us to be disciples that put your word into action. As I've been so inspired by so many people in our church here that love deeply, continue to convict us in this. God, help us to focus on Jesus as we remember his body and blood broken for us. Thank you that it's because of that our faith in him that we can be considered pure and blameless before you. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.